after your parents, your father and your mother. We can't put it off any longer, though we might wish to. Having looked at a fortnight ago, God's desire to protect sex and faithfulness in relationships, then last week, God's desire to protect life. This week, this morning, we look at God's desire to protect relationships, especially those between the generations. And in particular, those relationships between generations within family by strengthening the ties between parents and children. Family life, as we know, has undergone such a colossal change in recent years. At the turn of the millennium, OXO announced that it was to end its 18-year advertising campaign that followed the OXO family through meal-centred stages of their life together, They announced that the adverts had run their course because, I quote, the image of mum and dad and three children sitting around a dining table is no longer reflecting the average family. There was a need to move with the times, they said, and portray home life in a far more varied way. They might be right about their analysis as to how times have changed. Yet... Yet it is still family relationships that can create the greatest joy and cause us the greatest sorrow and often we find both in most families. And it's into our love-hate relationship with the family that this fifth commandment comes. Urging the protection and the security of good relationships across the generation divide. It is a command for children, children whatever their age, whether they be 8 or 18 or 58, and it's a call for parents too. And like all of these commands, these words from heaven, this one is universal. We all have or have had parents. For some, our relationship with them will have been long and fruitful. For others, our relationship with our parents has been painful and challenging at best. For others, still the pain of a relationship cut short through death or circumstance, or a relationship that you wished you'd had that's always been denied you. Maybe you've never known your mother or your father or both. And so I'm conscious again that we come to this issue with all kinds of sensitivities and with all kinds of pains and wounds just lurking beneath the surface. And I'd invite you to interpret what I say in the light of your own circumstance and do take opportunity to talk about it with me or others if it raises an agenda for you. Unlike most of the other commands, this one comes with a promise. The promise is that you might live long in the land. I don't think it means living long in the sense of of having many years of life that are unfruitful and fulfilling, but living long in the sense of living well. At least that's how Deuteronomy reflects it. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. A reminder that on God's agenda, relationships across the generations, especially within families, is of such importance. You see, whatever might be changing out there in terms of the way families look and feel and relate, the family is a God-given 
going to say institution, but that dumbs it down in my opinion, is a God-given way of living. And we mess with it therefore, as we know, at our peril. And the promise here is that if you commit yourself to strengthening relationships across the generations, that it will go well with you in a way it might not otherwise do. So what does it mean? What does it mean for me to honour my father and mother? Some of you will already be thinking, you do not know my father and your mother. No, I don't. And I might be blessed for that. You'll have to lighten up. It'll be a long morning. A few things it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean agreeing with them all of the time. Some of us can breathe for the first time since I started speaking. Some of you are already relieved that it's not a command to agree with them because you've been so painfully aware that for so much of your life you have done anything but agree with them. You see, the Bible does not assert that parents are perfect and flawless even if sometimes your parents might have behaved as if they were perfect and flawless. The Bible acknowledges parental failings, sometimes on a catastrophic scale. There are countless stories in the Bible of very extremely dysfunctional families. If you read the story of Jacob, for example, the patriarch back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, who totally screwed up his family, you'll be confident that the Bible does not assert in any way, shape or form that our parents are perfect. Fathers, Paul wrote, do not exasperate your children. There was an expectation that fathers might. Your parents are not perfect and you cannot expect to agree with them all the time and you are not expected to obey them all of the time. Jesus said some very clear things about our loyalties. He said there'll be times in our lives, uh, and he's using a particularly Hebrew way of speaking here, there'll be times in our lives when you want to put other people, other things before me. He doesn't mean that you literally hate your mother or your father. It's a Hebrew idiom of expressing uh, a, a severe contrast. He's saying there's a loyalty that goes on in life. And your number one loyalty is always to God and his son, Jesus Christ. Put me first, he says. And Peter reflects something similar. We must obey God rather than men. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus went directly against his mother's wishes. So it doesn't mean you'll always agree with them. It doesn't mean you always have to obey them. So what the flip does it mean? Well, one of the best uh, uh, ways in I've uh, heard is this. In court, you call the judge your honour. You call the judge your honour, not because you know him or her personally, because you probably don't. And you don't call them your honour because you agree or because you disagree with their judgments. You call him or her your honour as a mark of respect for their role. To honour our parents is to give them respect and dignity as our parents, to bestow on them value for the God-given role that they have. So how do we do that? 
Well, I think the Bible gives us some principles to guide our way. And, and those principles vary at different stages of our lives. Firstly, I think it means that we honour our parents by abiding by them when we are children. Jesus, as a child, was obedient to his parents. That's what the Bible says. And alongside that phrase of him being obedient to his parents comes a commendation. He grew in wisdom and stature and he found favour with God and with man. The Bible teaches that children should be obedient to their parents. There's a rightful, godly submission of children to parents. One of the great breakdowns we have in our society these days is that children grow up without any sense of the need to submit to any authority. Such an attitude leads where? To anarchy in its fullest sense. Someone described our society as that that ties up our dogs at night but lets our children run loose. And they've got a point. But I appreciate that most of us here are no longer children uh, and we're no longer living under that obedient, submissive uh, uh, father-mother relationship because we don't live in their home, we we don't relate to them in that way and, and neither should we as adults. But there may be some things here that you would do well to put right with your father and your mother as we look at what it means to honour them. Something about your behaviour or your attitude towards them whilst you were growing up. Your behaviour on your attitude towards them whilst you should have been abiding by them. And we'll say a bit more about this in a moment, but your parents probably put up with a lot. Have you apologised, cleared up, some of the things that you put your parents through, some of the heartaches you caused, some of the attitudes that you expressed so thoughtlessly back then that must have wounded them. It was years later that I realised that I'd wounded my parents by the fact that I did not attend my own graduation. Rightly or wrongly, I was totally uninterested in dressing up in a big black gown, wearing a funny hat, sitting in a hot sweaty hall to shake hands with someone who didn't know me. Uh, To be fair, I was on my own in my course and my graduation was in London and I was living in Bristol and all that stuff, but I didn't need much excuse not to go. It was years later that I realised that I'd robbed my parents of that opportunity to celebrate a milestone in my journey, which they would have been blessed to have been part of. I still feel a bit bad when I go into the dining room at home, 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 mum and dad's home, and there on the wall is a picture of my brother in all his regalia. There on the wall is a picture of my sister in all her regalia. And then there's this empty frame. (laughs) No, there's not. There's not. But the, the, the pictures of them are there. And there's me lying on a beach somewhere or something, you know, really kind of uh, committed. We're called to obey our parents as children. Other regrets, mistakes that you would do well to straighten out with them. To honour them by recognising your error, apologising for the hurt and wound you caused. And so strengthening the link between the generations. But we're not children, we're adults. So how do we honour our, our, our parents as adults? We honour our parents as adults by appreciating them when we are adults. There is much we can appreciate 
about our parents. It's really hard to be a parent. And when we grow up and become adults, we look into parenting and think, wow, that must be hard. Maybe then we become parents ourselves and go, wow, this is impossibly hard. This is an insane task to bring children into the world and raise them in any sense of orderly fashion. And as we look back, for many of us, most of us, dare say all of us, there are things about our parents that we can affirm and appreciate, and maybe we should. My dad would come home from work nine times out of ten, and until I went to bed, he would play with me. I had no idea as a kid how knackered you are when you come in from a day at work. My dad was a criminal lawyer. He would spend all day on his feet in court, rehearsing and then uh, presenting complex arguments. But when he got home, totally exhausted as he must have been, the first thing he would do, he'd go up the stairs, he'd take his suit off, he'd put something else on, and he'd play with me. He was a genius at making up games of all kinds and had the energy that went along with it. I had no idea at the time how fortunate I was for that to be the case. And I had no idea at the time how much effort that must have sometimes taken on his behalf. It was a gift to me. We need to acknowledge these gifts and appreciate them. What about mums? Mums that almost, if not totally, lose themselves sometimes in their care of us. Dear child, the bathroom door is closed. Please do not stand here and talk, whine or ask questions. Wait until I get out. Yes, it's locked. I want it that way. It's not broken and I'm not trapped. I know I've left it unlocked and even opened at times since you were born because I was afraid some horrible tragedy might occur while I was in there. But it's been ten years now and I want some privacy. Do not ask me how long I will be. I will come out when I'm done. Do not bring the phone to the bathroom door. Do not go running back on the phone yelling, She's on the toilet! Do not stick your little fingers under the door and wiggle them. This was funny when you were two. Do not slide pennies, Lego or notes under the door. If you followed me down the hall talking and are still talking as you face this closed door, please turn around, walk away and wait for me in another room. I will be glad to listen to you when I'm done. And yes, I still love you, Mum. There's much that we can appreciate if we go looking for it. To be a parent is incredibly demanding. And as we move into adulthood, we begin to appreciate some of the things we had no idea about at the time. And maybe when we become parents too, we wonder how our own parents ever survived. The stress and the worry, you lot keep telling me, just gets worse as they get older. Thank you for the encouragement. I can believe it. There is much to be worried about. A girl wrote home to her mum and dad during her first year away at college. Dear mum and dad, since I left for college I've been remiss in writing and I'm sorry for my thoughtlessness in not having written before. I'll bring you up to date now. 
But before you read on, please sit down. Are you sitting down? Don't read on unless you are. I'm getting along pretty well now. The skull fracture and concussion that I got when I jumped out of my dormitory window when it caught on fire shortly after my arrival here is pretty well healed. I only get those sick headaches once a day. Fortunately, the fire in my dorm and the jump was witnessed by an attendant at the petrol station. He ran over, took me to hospital and continued to visit me there. When I got out of the hospital, I had nowhere to live because of the burnt-out conditions of my room, so he was kind enough to invite me to share his basement bedroom flat with him. It's sort of small, but cute. He's a very fine boy, and we've fallen deeply in love and are planning to get married. We haven't set the exact date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy begins to show. Yes, Mum and Dad, I'm pregnant. I know how much you are looking forward to being grandparents, and I know you will welcome the baby and give it the same tender care and devotion that you gave me when I was a child. The reason for the delay in our marriage is that my boyfriend has a minor infection, which I carelessly caught from him. I know, however, that you will welcome him into our family with open arms. He is kind, and although not well-educated, he is ambitious. Although he is of a different race and religion than ours, I know that your often expressed tolerance will not permit you to be bothered by that. In conclusion, now that I've brought you up to date, I want to tell you there was no dormitory fire. I did not have concussion or skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I'm not pregnant. I'm not infected, and there is no boyfriend in my life. However, I'm failing in history and science, and I wanted you to see these marks in their proper perspective. As we grow up, we begin maybe to get that proper perspective if we allow us to for a moment or two. And there's much to appreciate that maybe we never understood or knew at the time. Mark Twain wrote, When I was 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly bear him. But by the time I was 21, I was amazed how much he had learned in those seven years. We need to appreciate them for so many things. Joseph had much to be angry about this first year from Genesis. He's been away from his father for, for, for many years. And, and his father treated him maybe unwittingly badly in many senses. There was much that Joseph could be angry about. But when he saw his father again, he chose to appreciate him rather than be angry with him. Seize the opportunities to show appreciation. Maybe an appropriate part of that appreciation sometimes is affection. Elisha might have been a high-powered prophet, but he knew what it was to show affection physically to his father and his mother. One of the great things about having kids is to hold them, to hug them, to feel their hand in yours, to feel their little arms around your neck. Genius. Wouldn't swap it for the world. This morning, I got up way before anyone else in the family got up. And into my study comes the patter of little tiny feet, a sleepy boy in his gym jams, barely awake. And all he wants is to snuggle into my chest. You cannot trade anything for that. But he'll grow up. And he won't fit on my lap one day, unless he's as small as me. <laughs> and your children have grown up, maybe, and you know what I say when you, you miss something of what there was when they were little. Maybe a little bit of affection from you to your parents might be rain in a very dry desert. 
Now, I know that if all we feel is bitterness and anger and resentment towards our parents, what I'm saying in these last five, ten minutes is a million miles away from our experience. But it's true that those emotions of anger and bitterness, even hatred sometimes, however valid, and I hear some awful stories, and yes, sometimes those emotions feel so valid, they'll only eat us in the end and destroy us in the end. And maybe, just maybe, part of the way God would open up for us to deal with some of that pain is to begin to appreciate and affirm where in the past we've only been angry. We honour our parents by abiding by them when we are children, by affirming them when we are adults, and thirdly, by attending to them when they are old. In the fullness of time, our parents will become increasingly dependent upon us for support. Financially, maybe. Practically, practical support, possibly. Emotional support, almost certainly. If our parents were there for us, will we be there for them? And if our parents weren't there for us, will we, in some gigantic way, express the grace and generosity of God by being there for them even though they weren't there for us? The degree to which a society, it is said, can claim to be civilized is determined by its treatment of those advanced in old age. And with low pension provision and inadequate housing and low prioritization of geriatric care, the West is not particularly good at it. We might not be able to change our society, but maybe in our families, maybe in our relationships across the generations, we could make a difference. In Nazareth, uh, I remember seeing, you see them in, 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 in all over the Middle East, in fact, in all over cultures of this time. But I particularly remember it in Nazareth. Rows and rows of houses where the rods are still sticking up. Single-story houses, rods still sticking up. Why are they sticking up? They're waiting for the time the son will get married to his new wife and they will move in upstairs and they'll build the second part of the house. Now, I know that for many of us, living above our mother-in-laws is deeply disturbing. But those rods are a reminder that there is a responsibility that continues across the generations, even as our circumstances change. Joy David Mann in a book, Smoke on the Mountain, tells a moving story. Once upon a time there was an old man. His eyes blinked and his hands trembled. When he ate, he clattered the silverware distressingly, missed his mouth with the spoon as often as not, and dribbled a bit of his food on the tablecloth. Now he lived with his married son, having nowhere else to go. And his son's wife was a modern young woman who knew that in-laws should not be tolerated in a woman's home. I can't have this, she said. It interferes with a woman's right to happiness. So she and her husband took the little old man gently, but firmly by the arm, and led him to the corner of the kitchen. There they sat him on a stool and gave him his food. One day his hands trembled rather more than usual, and the earthenware bowl fell and broke. If you're a pig said the daughter, you must eat out of a trough. So they made him a little wooden trough and he got his meals in that. These people had a four-year-old son of whom they were very fond. One supper time the young man noticed his boy playing intently with some bits of wood and asked him what he was doing. I'm making a trough, he said, smiling up for approval to feed you and Mama out of when I'm big. The man and his wife looked at each other for a while and then they cried. And they went to the corner and took the old man by the arm and led him back to the table. 
They sat him in a comfortable chair and put his food on a plate and found, uh, and found from then on that nobody ever scolded him when he clattered or spilled or broke things. Listen then to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. A godly responsibility. But I invite you to think about how seriously you are taking it. Now it means different things for different people. There are some people in our community who carry a great burden of caring for parents. And we need to recognise the emotional, the physical strain that that takes on them. We need to be good in our small groups at supporting those who offer such care because they need to and because they should and because it's their responsibility. And maybe we need to think about our own relationships and, and where we should be offering care and responsibility in a way that maybe we are not. And I've got another one, fourthly, to honour our parents by acting now. As I was preparing this series, it occurred to me that this command, perhaps out of all the others, is time-dependent. There will come a day when our parents will die. And many of us have gone through the heartache and trauma of that process. And as J. John points out, when he talked about this commandment once, he said that no expense at a funeral, no uh, pretty flowers, no elaborate, I might add, tribute, is equal to a letter, a visit, a phone call while we still have the opportunity. There's an urgency in some way to this command. But Maybe you do already live with regret over things that you never did and words that you never said and now your parents have died and you feel a sense of it being too late, of a door closed and you, you wish you could in some way open it again. I want to say this morning, there's a way to open that door. And the way to open that door is to go to Jesus who died on the cross for all that we got wrong, all our mistakes, all our fears, all our failings, and to pile all that we feel onto him at the cross. And you'll find that a little door will open to healing and forgiveness and a new beginning. It's not easy. Maybe you want someone to walk that journey with you. So we honour our parents by abiding, affirming, attending and acting. But there is another side to this command, and I'm out of time really, but we'll just look at it for a few minutes. There is a, another side. If the emphasis is on children honouring their parents, how do those of us with the responsibility of being parents act in a way that makes it easier for them to honour us? We become parents worth honouring by learning from our mistakes. Let's create a culture here in our small groups, in our relationships, where we recognize that we're all amateurs at parenting. In fact, most of the time, we haven't got much of a clue because we've never done it before. And in our culture and in our society, people don't talk much about how you should do it except to gossip about people they perceive have got it wrong. The Earl of Rochester said in the 17th century, before I got married I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children, but no theories. And Jacob, as we mentioned earlier, didn't learn from his mistakes. He favoured one wife over the other, then he started favouring his kids, and it was catastrophic. The best thing we can do is to begin to learn by our mistakes. You know, you, you learn to drive a car. You might not think some people have when you see them on the road. But you get a baby with nothing but a little bounty pack and a bit of pseudo cream. You've got no idea where that goes. No, no real help. 
Although nowadays you get a little book from the government tells you how to bring up your child. Clueless. We need to create and foster a sense of support, uh, of, uh, of understanding we're in it together, understanding we make mistakes, learning from one another through those mistakes. Let's be big enough to say sorry. Big enough to say sorry to our children when we've got it wrong, when we've hurt and wounded them, when they've got not our discipline but our anger, when they've got somebody else's mail, when we've made a decision that blatantly turned out to be the wrong one. Let's be quick to say sorry. Let's think about our parenting. Think about what works well and what doesn't. Let's stop long enough to spot those patterns in our parenting behavior that just repeatedly have bad and negative results. You look back on life and you think you do the same thing over and over again. And it's the same negative reaction over and over again. Let's stop and think. Break these cycles in our relationships and in our families. Think about all those things you vowed as a child. When I'm a parent, I'll never say that to my children. And now you do. Don't all sit there quietly as if it's just me, because it's not. We need to think about it, to work at it. And it's not just learning, far more important even than learning is loving. Loving as unconditionally as we can. You see, kids today find it really, really, maybe they've always done, I don't know, but I know now, find it really, really, really hard to think something good about themselves. Really hard. They're bombarded with all kinds of messages every single day that says you're not quite good enough because they can never aspire and live up to the image. And so they go around with all these messages about not being loved and not being accepted and not being good enough and being too tall and too short and too dumb and too smart and too everything else. And like pop-up ads in the web browser, they close one down and three come up to replace it. It's never too soon for us to really affirm with our children how much we love them come what may. Pray that God will give us the love of heaven to love our children, despite all they might say and do, despite the ways they might sometimes behave. One of the journeys that we're on as a family that many families are on is you you suddenly realise that your kids are different. They're not all the same. And they respond to love in different ways. And it's illuminating to discover what works and what doesn't. And it's illuminating how stupid you can be in forgetting that and not applying it day by day. Remember, touch means more than words. Some children grow up never being touched or hugged or tickled, and we wonder why in adulthood they ask the question, does anybody love me? And do you know the most scary thing is? Our children are making decisions about what God is like based on how we have fathered and mothered them. It's a wonder we can sleep at night sometimes. My experience is that it's definitely harder to believe that God loves you unconditionally if you haven't known love from your parents. And we long above all else, don't we, therefore, for our children to discover that God loves them. And that'll mean telling them the story of, of a God who sent his son for them, repeating it to them, talking about it when we sit and when, we, when we're at home and when we're walking along the road and when we lie down. But we can't tell them of the father's love if they don't see it in their parents' love. 
Love, of course, includes discipline and it's tempting to to leave that out, to, to keep everything happy. I do not love my children by giving them everything that they want and I do not love my children by giving them everything that they ask and I do not love my children by seeking to always make them happy. Love and discipline go together, says Proverbs. But it must be appropriate. What's the biggest trouble when you're disciplining your kids? Is that you're angry. You're angry. Don't sit there like it's just me. And your anger comes out. Sometimes that's appropriate. Most of the time probably isn't. God help us to discipline our kids in a way that honours him expresses the love from heaven and the bounds in which they're called to live. And that verse again about fathers that we'll move on without even mentioning. So learn and love. And then finally, we become parents worth honouring by letting go. By letting go. I've little personal experience of this yet. Can't begin to imagine how hard that would be. And it's a reminder, isn't it, that while we have dreams for our children, ambitions, hopes and fears, how we long for them to succeed where maybe we feel we've failed, whilst we regard their successes and their failures and their choices so often as a direct reflection on us, whilst we think like that, the temptation to manipulate and to control is huge. And we need to capture something of the spirit of Hannah, who was so grateful, this verse from 1 Samuel, Hannah who was so grateful for the gift of a son that she offered him back to the Lord. She understood ultimately her child was not hers, but his. And God richly rewarded her for her attitude. Reminder to us that they're a gift and they belong to God way before they ever belong to us. And whether our children are 15 or 50, we might still be having trouble letting go. There's a father in heaven who knows how you feel, who one day let his son go into a damaged and broken world. We cannot live their lives for them and we dishonour them when we try. So now I give him to the Lord. And we'll do all our children a much greater service by praying for them every single day rather than trying to keep them as if we could under our control. So the fifth commandment, honour your parents. And if you're a parent, be a parent worthy of honour, therefore. And as Paul writes about these things in Ephesians towards the end of his letter to that church, he writes about wives and husbands and children and parents. Maybe it's no surprise But just before he writes about those things, he says this, hey, be filled. Whatever you do, this is what you'll need. Be filled with the Spirit. May God give us his supernatural, sustaining power to honour our parents and to be parents worthy of our children's honour. Let's pray.